Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Christian Girl. Um, this is season two, guys. We're back in here. You guys already know that season one was all about kingdom collaborations. Season two is all about surviving. I'm sure you probably already heard the introduction. You've already heard episode one. Um, and today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit heavier than probably we've talked about in the past, but I think is necessary. I mean, 2020 is heavy altogether, so this should be fine. I'm going to let my guest introduce herself, um, share a little bit about her backstory, and then we'll dig into um, the topic. Shardé? My name is Shardé Richardson. I'm the founder of the Forever Mariah Foundation. And a little bit about my story, and it kind of goes into how the foundation was started. The foundation is called the Forever Mariah Foundation. So in 2011, my daughter Mariah was diagnosed with DIPG, which, which is an inoperable brain tumor. Um, she was two and a half years old when she was diagnosed. Prior to diagnosis, um, me and her father, we weren't married at the time. We were just a young couple. Um, he was my high school sweetheart. This was our first child. We had her right after high school. So we were just young and just living life, you know, <laughs> just living life. No worries in the world, raising our daughter. Um, one day we noticed that she started to walk a little bit weird. And we were like kind of helicopter parents with your first child. Like everything is just really you know, you pay attention to everything. So we noticed that she started walking weird and we're, we were the type of parents that were like, okay, this is really uncomfortable for us. Like we're gonna take her right in. It was actually, we were supposed to go out of town the weekend that she was diagnosed. We were supposed to go out of town to his, my husband's um, brother's graduation um, in his hometown, which is in Roanoke, Virginia. So we noticed she was walking weird. We cut our trip short. We came back, we took her to her pediatrician and they were like, yeah, you know, she's walking weird. Um, take her to an orthopedics, like it, she'll be fine. They didn't really have any calls for alarm at that time period. So I remember Monday came around, I was calling to like every pediatric orthopedic um, specialist in my area. And like, if you know anything about any specialist, you're getting like two months out appointments. So it was like, I couldn't take her to be seen right away. And I didn't want to just have her walking like this because over the weekend, she kind of like started developing things with her attitude as well, she just became like a different child. So I was like, okay, we need to get this looked at now. So I ended up doing like a search on Google. And I, um, I was aware that the children's hospital in our area, like they have orthopedics in the emergency room. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take her there. So we took her to Fairfax Hospital and they evaluated her in the emergency room. They're like, okay, we want to do an MRI of her spine. We're going to have to admit her because she's too young to go through an MRI without being sedated. So we're going to admit her overnight because you can't eat like, you know, before you're put under anesthesia. So like, OK, we're going to uh, like admit you into the hospital. Tomorrow she'll have the MRI for her spine. We'll find out what's wrong with her. But the weird thing about it was when we were admitted into the hospital, we were admitted um, directly into the oncology unit. So imagine like you're, you know, you're a young parent. And you're like, it's your first time staying overnight with your child. And then you're put into a cancer unit. And I was looking around and I just remember like asking my husband, like, why are we here for like our babies and diagnosed with anything? So why are they putting us in this unit already? It was just really strange to us. So the next day her MRI came around and I just remember like something about it. I don't know. It's just, I just knew something was like wrong 
So um, I went back there with her while they put her to sleep. And then I was just a wreck. I just remember crying like hysterically. My mother, my brother, my sister, my husband, like they were all there with us for her to do the MRI. And I was crying and I was crying like uncontrollably. And I remember they were like, Sarday, like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you acting like this? And I, I just felt in my heart like, something wasn't right. Like my mother's intuition just was in overdrive and I just knew something wasn't right. So prior to the MRI starting, they were like, you know, it's going to take probably like 30 minutes to do an MRI for spine. And, you know, then we'll be able to come back and give you the results. Like 30 minutes passed. And I remember a doctor came on and he was like, okay, it's going to take like two hours for the MRI. And I'm like, okay, how do we go from 30 minutes to two hours? But they weren't able to give us any information at the time. They were like, you know, basically, he's just going, you know, we're, we're going to finish the testing, then we'll let you guys know. So long story short, um, after the test was done, I will never forget, you know, after you're coming from anesthesia, like they put you in like a little recovery unit. So they invited us back to like, come, you know, as she was waking up from, for the, from the anesthesia. So and I'm sorry if I get a little emotional. Um, so I, I just remember like going into the room where she was, you know, in the bed waking up and I just, it was three doctors that were like standing there and I would never forget like one of the doctors, like it looked like she was like, it looked as if she had been crying. And like, as soon as I seen their faces, like my heart dropped because I just knew that like, whatever it was, they were going to tell us, like it can't be good because this doctor, she just looked like very emotional. She just looked like she wanted to just cry and she had been crying. So, I mean, they sat me and my husband down um, and I mean, they just told us like your child has BIPG, which is a, a brain tumor on her brain stem. At that time period, like I didn't really know much information about it. So, you know, that was kind of foreign to me, but um, they gave us the prognosis, which was it's a fatal tumor, like no one survives it, but there's a 10% chance that she would last a year. And I mean, like, this is your only child. This is your, you know, two and a half year old baby. And for someone to like, look you in your face and tell you like, your child is for sure going to die, but there's a chance that they will survive a year. I mean, you know, our world just crashed and um, I was a wreck. I was a wreck for a while. Um, I just remember being in the hospital and just like in the waiting room and just like crying. Like I just did not understand like how this was happening. But I pulled myself together really, really quickly. And I, I've i always knew God, but I, I, I really ran to him because he was the only person that like I knew could help me in this situation. So I found my faith in him, like it just grew and I just was determined to fight this thing. So um, she was given a 10% chance of lasting a year. Mariah actually lasted two and a half years. She actually passed two weeks before her fifth birthday. And that's pretty much her story. And I just want to apologize ahead of time if some of the conversation is triggering. I don't intend, you know, for that, but obviously this season is called Surviving for a Reason. 
I mean, because the way things were set up, like I kind of vaguely remembered from the outside kind of seeing what was going on with you, but I really didn't know, you know, the in and out. Um, and I had a really hard time. I had a really difficult time today. I normally I come up with like questions and I send it ahead of time and I'm ready to go. But I was just like, God, I'm really stuck on this because it's like, how do you have a conversation about something where it's like, it's your kid. Like, <laughs> like I don't have a child. I, I have not gone through this experience. So I had to pull you in on this conversation because I, I have no right and authority to speak to it. I need to talk to somebody who's been through this, literally walk through it, and they're still pushing through. They're still doing the things that they have to do. So I think kind of my starting point would be in this conversation and to any person who's listening would be, I know you say you ran to God. And I think the question I'm about to ask is really vague, but it's the only way I know how to ask, how did you do it? Like, I can't imagine that that type of pain, I, I it's, it doesn't go away, especially like when you, you issue your kid, you know, their favorite toy, you know, their sound of their laugh. You like, you know, them like they they were here. How do you move past that? I'm people. I'm so sorry this happened. The funeral, everybody eats, you know, they hug, they go away. It's like the next day, the first next week that like, what is that process like? How do you even minister to somebody who's going through something similar? Like where, where do you start in that conversation? You asked me, how do you run to God? <laughs> but my counter question is, how do you not run to God? Like, honestly, um, you spoke on, you know, after the funeral and all of that type of stuff, like that was another <laughs> ordeal within itself. Like my daughter's funeral, everything was just disastrous. My family acted a fool. So it was like, I grieved my daughter's passing, but then I also had to grieve like my family acting crazy, which is a whole nother situation. But honestly, like God was the only thing that can could get me through that situation. I have to be honest. I mean, of course, when you have faith, like I had faith, you couldn't, you couldn't tell me, you couldn't pay me to believe that my daughter was not going to survive. Like, even though doctors were in my face constantly, like Sade, like, there's a zero percent chance that she's going to make it. I still have my faith so big in God that like, I was like, oh, she's going to be a miracle. Like, this is going to be a little girl, like the people in the Bible's like, she's going to be, she's going to be good. She was going to come out of it. And I think my faith had built up so much during like the battle with cancer that when it all played out the way that it did, like, I couldn't run to anybody else. I had to run the guy. Like I had to, the same person, the same, you know, man that I had trusted throughout it. And I was able to live in the hospital six weeks at a time, months at a time and stuff like the same person that was able to get me through that. I know that when she transitioned, it was only him that was going to get me through the next part of the journey. So you say, how do you run to God? My answer is I had no other choice but to run to God. 
So also taking into consideration, I know one of the things that creates trauma, they always say, is uh, taking into consideration the natural temperance of the person, just how they naturally are in adding experience. And it's like hot water might boil an egg and it might soften the potato, but it's still hot water. So thinking about maybe somebody whose faith may not be as strong or they just don't know what to feel. I can imagine that there were moments where you may be upset. You can correct me if I'm wrong. If you were upset and, and angry with God, how is it that you were able to still have faith, probably still have some fear and be like, I trust you, but why are you letting this happen? Like that, that, that whirlwind of emotion on the inside, like in that survival, I don't even say it's a survival mode. Should I say it's survival mode? Cause I think sometimes when we say survival mode, it's very, it's instinctual. It's just something that kicks in. And sometimes we don't even have time to really sit with our emotions. But in, like you said, the way things ended and how it transitioned, even in the times when you were upset with God, how did you, how did you manage that? There was many times that I was upset with God. Um, to be honest with you, oh man, like there was certain like hardships in my life and there were certain people in my life that I would say disappointed me the most. And I think people like when they look at me on the outside, they're like, Sharday, they everyone thinks I'm like superwoman. You're so strong. Like you made it through this. You know, they just think that I don't have any weakness. And when I tell them like I was disappointed and God, they're like, what? You were disappointed. Yes, I was disappointed because I thought my child was going to live and she did not live. So I had a lot of disappointment with God. And honestly, it was like even in the moments that I was disappointed with him and for him allowing, you know, it to happen, I still trusted him. I don't know how I still trusted him, but I did still trust him. And it's like, I don't know, just imagine like you're out in the water and it's like, you get so far in the water. Either I'm going to be in the water. I'm not going to trust him and I'm, and I'm going to drown or I'm going to, you know, have some faith. I'm going to trust him and, you know, hopefully I'll make it to the other side. But I was so, I mean, like when a child passes away, there's nothing you can do to bring that child back. So I just had to blindly have faith that, you know, he was going to lead me through. But I, I, I deal with families all the time in my organization. And I would say like 90% of them are the exact opposite of me. They are very angry with God. They don't have the faith that I had. Like during my Mariah sickness, I really thought that she was going to live. A lot of the parents that I deal with from like the moment, even the, the children who has the same exact prognosis, the same exact tumor that Mariah has. So they're, you know, the 0% survival, their family knows that from the beginning. And they, I mean, they don't have any faith at all. So I'm, I'm facing that a lot with them. And it's, you know, it's hard because my journey, my experience was a lot different, but I still just tried to be the light to them. Um, you know, and just, I try to encourage them, you know, along the way as well. Two things that come to mind, um, I guess, you know, as you were talking is one, when I think about Mary and when she loses her brother, Lazarus, because um, when I try to read the Bible, I try to like use all my senses and really put myself in that person's shoes and be like, all right, if this was happening too late, what would be happening? And it's so funny because we just see that in a couple of chapters before she's at the feet of Jesus, you can't pull her away. Like she don't see nothing else or 
anybody else. And then we see a few chapters later, her brother, whom she loved, we don't hear about their parents. We don't hear about a husband. So it's probably very likely, especially in those times, he probably was the breadwinner. They probably all lived in the house. You know, I'm, I'm painting the picture in my mind where it's just kind of like when Jesus finally steps onto the scene and is like, like probably thinking, where's Mary? Where's the woman that was sitting at my feet? I think about, I feel like Mary's response is realistic for a lot of different people that like God, he wouldn't have died if, if you would have been here. And so I think that's kind of where I think a lot of the families you're talking about probably are, probably you have found yourself in that space where it's just kind of like, what do you do when you feel like the enemy has won? Because from the outside looking in, it seems like, yeah, I went, this didn't, it didn't turn out the way you thought it would be. And in that particular story, obviously Lazarus is resurrected. Was there anything in your life? Was there any moment where at least there was like breath that God was reminding you that not only will you survive, but you are surviving? Was there ever a moment? And if there, if, and if there was, what was that moment? It took a long time. <laughs> Honestly, when you said it seemed like the enemy had won. Oh, when Mariah passed away, it seemed like the enemy, like he was defeating me on every side because I went from losing my child to, like I said, my family was acting crazy. So that part of me kind of died. And I went from that, those two traumatic situations to issues in my marriage. So honestly, it didn't take it took like years <laughs> for me to feel like that because there was like dead situations all around me and it felt like I was defeated. It did. The second example that comes to mind, I don't know if you've seen that movie with Will Smith, uh, Collateral Beauty, um, when he loses, it's a really good movie. I think it came out 2016, 2017. And it was, he doesn't speak for like 50% of the movie but he was able to communicate with us the anger, how he felt. He, the premise of the movie is he loses his um, daughter to cancer and he basically just disconnects from life. He's like a CEO of like this high tech company that the company is about to be bankrupt. And he has, I think like three good friends who are still trying to keep the business together. So what he's been doing is he's been writing letters to love time and death. And so his friends slash partners, they come together and like, listen, we're going to hire some actors and it's going to be kind of like that. What's that Christmas movie where, uh, is it uh, uh, Scrooge where it's like, they, they take them like in different scenarios. And he's, so it's kind of almost like that, except that they orchestrated the whole thing and it takes him through, they address three of those different issues. And then we get to the, it's a really good movie. Um, they get to the end. And the whole premise is basically, or the ending is just kind of questioning, yes, this was catastrophic. Yes, this was horrible. But the collateral beauty, all the damage and the chaos, if there's just one thing that you can just like connect with or hold on to, not to say that it makes it worth it because that's not true. It's just not. But if there is like one small act of kindness or just something that can happen and all of that to help at least anchor you through find that to somebody who's listening how can you what piece of advice can you give them for finding the collateral beauty in going through a tumultuous and a, a scenario like cancer whether they lost somebody to cancer whether they, whether they lost their child whether they, they themselves had cancer 
What is that collateral beauty moment? I think for each person, it's it's going to be different. Um, for me, there was two that I would say. Um, the foundation, of course, the fact that I'm able to do something in the honor of my daughter's name and help families, you know, that are dealing with children with cancer. It's rewarding. Every time we have an event, every time I make a connection with the family, like it really warms my heart because I know that my baby's looking down and she's proud. So that is definitely something good that came out of it for me. And, you know, I can't recommend everybody to do a foundation. There's some families who like, they're like, this is too much. Like, I don't want to do that. But, and, and I understand it because it's hard. I mean, I'm constantly around kids that experience the same thing that I watch my child experience. And when, even in the foundation, when we lose kids, it's like losing my child over and over and over again. And it's like, why would you sign up for that? But for me, it's just being able to be a part of their journey, just being able to, I don't know, like share you know, memories with their families, help them, you know, be a part of their life. It, it's really fulfilling to me. And then another, like, I would say beautiful thing that came out of it is I was blessed with two other children. And I just look at like the time that Mariah was sick and the time that we spent in the hospital, there's no way possible that I would have been able to enjoy new life. You know, if I was stuck in the hospital or you know what I'm saying like just dealing with that like it's just for each person I believe they're you know the beautiful ending will be different I do firmly believe that everyone can have something beautiful come out of it but it just it just all depends on the person for me like it's my children and the foundation that's the beautiful ending for me that's something that came out of it you know that I'm happy about and I would, you know, just encourage everybody that may be listening that find themselves in a similar situation is, I don't know, like, because the person is not here anymore, you know, what, what do, what should their legacy look like? Like for my daughter, when she was here, she was strong. She was a fighter. She, you know, she made the world beautiful to like all of the people that loved her. So just because she passed away when she was five years old doesn't mean that like her life should stop there. So how can I allow her legacy to carry on? How can I make, you know, her strength carry on, even though she's not here? How can I make the world around, you know, people beautiful? Like, how can I make beauty come to the, you know, lives of people like she did when she was here? So for me, that's, you know, creating the foundation. Okay. I think what in in a strange but beautiful way, I feel like the death of your daughter also not gave birth to your purpose, but helped you blossom in it. Um, and I think it's so even though it's like strange and odd, and like you were saying, some people they're like they can't do that, they're not ready for that. But it's amazing that, like you were saying, you know, helping her legacy live on and to basically minister to other people going through the same thing after this thing, it's probably like one of the most selfless things anybody can do because I'm sure like 
you, everybody, I mean, after some people, some of us be probably walking around with a sign on our forehead that says out of service. I'm not helping nobody, especially when you experience something like that. So kind of ending this episode, um, I want you to just really um, just take a moment out to pray for anybody who might be listening or they know somebody who's going through something similar um, for just for them to be able to make it through. Because it's funny, you never really know or understand even what to say or how to address a tragedy or a trauma until you go through your own. And then there's like another level of sensitivity where it's like there's you recall there's moments if somebody had not been praying for me or been encouraging me or just a, a text at the right time, a phone call at the right time, me seeing something random on social media at the right time, it's like you probably would have lost it. So I think just taking a moment just to pray for somebody to let them know that, hey, we may not know you, but that, hey, somebody's praying for you, that you not just make it through, but that also that there is there there's going to be some kind of a beauty, even if the beauty is strange. Um, just take a moment out and just to pray for them and then we'll um, end the episode. Okay. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. I come to you with my sister, Lord. And I just pray right now, Father God, that anyone, Lord, that will hear this message, Lord, that you touch them, Father God, any tragedy that they may be experiencing, Lord, anything, Father God, any death in any any area of their life, Father God, any death, Father God, of anyone that they love, Lord, I lay them at your feet right now, Father God. I lay them at your feet and I pray first, Lord, that your peace that surpasses all understanding, Father God, come over them right now, Lord. The same peace, Father God, that you have give, given unto me, Lord, you are no respecters of persons, Father God. Therefore, I decree and declare, Father God, that your peace, Father God, will touch them, Lord. I lay their hearts, Father God, at your feet, Father God. And I pray right now, Lord, that you will keep their hearts soft, Father God, that they will not allow life situations, Father God. They will not let any anger, Father God, any bitterness, any sadness, any depression, Father God, anything that tries to attach itself, Father God, through grief and through sorrow, Lord, to harden their hearts, Father God. May you breathe life into their hearts right now, Lord, and cover their hearts in the blood of Jesus, Father God. May you awaken, Lord, any dead place, any dead, Father God, emotion in their heart, Father God, any spirit of grief that will try to take over, Father God, anyone, Lord, that even as we're dealing with COVID, Father God, and there's so much death in this nation, Lord, anything or anyone, Lord, that may be listening, Father God, that has experienced death, Lord, I lay them at your feet, Father God, and I just pray right now, Lord, that you will touch their hearts, that you will keep their mind, Father God, that their mind shall stay fixed on you, Lord, that you will send, Father God, people to minister to them, Lord, to plant seeds of hope in them, Father God, and that you will awaken, Father God, anything that the situation, the trauma, the grief, Lord, will try to cause them to die in their life, Lord, that you will awaken them, awaken them, awaken their minds, awaken their hearts, Father God, that they will not, Father God, go and, and, and come into an agreement with bitterness, with anger, Father God, that you will just give them the peace, Lord, that you will bless them, Father God, to be able to see the beauty, Lord, that you will give them, Father God, the strength to even hold on, Lord, because sometimes the beauty, Father God does not come automatically, Lord, but your word declares that weeping may endure for a night, Lord, but joy comes in the morning, Father God. Therefore, I decree and declare, Father God, that you are bringing a new day to your people, Lord, and that joy will come unto them, Lord. We cover them in the blood. I lay them at your feet, Father God, and I thank you, Lord, for your peace. I thank you for your mercy, Lord, and I thank you for your love, Father God. I, In Jesus' name, I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. 
Amen. Sade, thank you so much for um, being part of this episode. Please let the people know where they can find you on social media um, and any updates or any upcoming special announcements that you have for um, the Forever Mariah Foundation. So you can find the foundation at, we're on Instagram as well as Facebook and it's Mariah spelled with the O. So S-O-R-E-V-E-R-M-O-R-I-A-H foundation. And we also have a website, which is www.forevermariahfoundation.org. Um, we're, we're actually in the midst of launching some really um, exciting new programs in our organization. One of our main programs that we have is our Making Memory Celebrations, which we hold events for children that are finishing um, cancer treatment or celebrating their birthdays. With COVID, it's been a little strange. <laughs> so last year, we were unable to do as many um, celebrations as we wanted to, but hopefully, you know, stuff dies down, we'll be able to pick back up with that. But in place, we are launching a lot of um, wonderful programs. We also, for anyone out there that has um, experienced the death of a child, we have a bereaved parents and sibling programs called Heart to Heart. You can find the information about that on our website. Um, my husband and I, we actually wrote a children's book to expl explain death to young children. That's called The Sister I Never Met and all proceeds from book sales go back to the foundation. So check us out. Well, y'all heard it here first. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Confessions of a Christian Girl. Definitely like, subscribe, leave a review. Please follow Sharday, support what she's doing. Um, and you guys already know, we'll see you on the next episode, okay? <laughs>